Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and that Indigenous sovereignty was never ceded. I pay my respects to elders and custodians past, present and emerging and to those of the lands that this podcast reaches. As I embark on this process of speaking and listening, I'm doing so in the home of one of the longest continuous cultures of oral storytelling on the planet. You know, I make contemporary Indigenous art, so then that falls within a particular discourse. And so I'm always interrogating that notion and what that means and challenging myself to be as authentic as I can be within that process. I'm Ty Snaith and this is A World of One's Own, a series of conversations with women and non-binary artists I respect and admire. In each of these conversations, we attempt to break down the how and why of what we make. Together we look at physical processes and how they relate, not only to outcomes, but also connect to the unconscious or non-visual parallels and needs in our lives. In this episode, I explore the fascinating contemporary practice of Kwandamooka artist Megan Cope. Megan's career has recently really taken off. Having had work selected for The National in 2017, and she's currently making work for some of the major institutions around the country. In this chat, Megan and I discuss some of her recent works and the way they relate to her identity as a First Nation woman. On a broader level, we unpack what it really means to have a relationship with country and the significance of living on country for her as an Indigenous artist. I like the way that even though you can tell Megan is fiercely academic in many ways, she still holds a priority of keeping it real, authentically reconnecting with ancestral practices and, as she says, making work that is relative to her relatives. We begin by talking about Megan's recent move to live back on country in Minjeri Bar or North Stradbroke Island. So how I connect to that place is um, through my father and um, I was born in South Brisbane Mm -hmm. and uh, my mum and dad, they met in high school. Yeah, dad is a Kwandamooka man Mm -hmm. from North Stradbroke Island and so he spent his childhood growing up there and, um, you know, lots of families. Nice place to grow up. Oh, yeah. It's like... (laughs) Gosh, it's it's so beautiful. Um, Yeah, so I um, connect to that country through my father. I was raised by my father, like mum and dad didn't stay together. Okay. Um, You know, when I was a baby, he Mm -hmm. took me on and, Mm -hmm. yeah. But, you know, I didn't grow up there. I just spent holidays there with Nana and... Yeah, so I've only just recently returned, yeah. Wow, it must feel like, you know, going back to your early childhood in a really magical kind of way. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, your relationship with country changes or, um, you know, lots of things stay the same as in like through family, through the family that never left, you know. Mm. But there's been lots of waves of um, like it's a very small Mm. community and like lots of regional or small towns, you know, work 
you know, it's 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 difficult to find. So, you know, lots of families come and go from the island. Right. But, you know, we, we're fortunate that, you know, there is a generation that never left and um, there's lots of people that didn't leave. So we've always got that anchor, you know. Yeah, and the, yeah. And the history's still there and mm. always not been taken away. Or, mm, yep. That's amazing. Um, And as an artist, I guess you can, one of the beauties of what we do is we can work from anywhere. So yeah. you having that freedom to go back to your place you know your special place that's pretty cool yeah well it's been a long-term plan you Mm. know like um and I've been basing myself I came from the bush like I didn't grow up in the city at all Mm. so you know the last 10 years I've been living in the urban space and you know getting an education (sighs) and learning all of that kind of stuff and so and finally, yeah, my practice has allowed me to have that freedom. Um, that's so great. And, and, yeah, be able to move around, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think, I mean, from from what I know of your work, place, the idea of place seems to be quite, your work makes me think about ideas of place so it makes sense to move back to a significant place for you rather than work from the concrete jungle. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting, like, um, you know, I guess I, you know, I make contemporary Indigenous art, so then mm. that falls within a particular discourse. And so I'm always interrogating that notion and what that means and challenging myself um, to be as authentic as I can be within that mm. process. And mm. Yeah, it's interesting because so much has been disrupted Mm. culturally and historically. So, you know, we're constantly in a process of um, through the generations revitalising and um, reconnecting Mm. and examining um, that, especially when you're away from your country. Yeah, that's right. That would be even harder. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when I make work as a Kwandamooka woman, Kwandamooka itself is located in a place. Mm. You know, it's our ancestral land, it's mm. our country. So um, it's very important to me that everything that I do under that is then relative to mm. all my relatives. Yeah, so you do, know? You, do you find that being back in that place makes more significant work to you? Like do you feel like more ideas come there or is it just purely being connected to the people there. It's interesting because, like, you know, my family's, like, pretty um, straightforward. We're very working class blackfellas, you know. Mm. Um, Yeah, we just love each other and love our country and, Mm. you know, and don't get too much into it. And there's, you know, family members that have gotten um, more into you know, the anthropological stuff and mm-hmm. um, the historical stuff. And, you know, we're like I was saying, it's all a process of um, cultural reclamation and how, you know, um, through the decades we've reached a point where we are strong, we are resilient mm-hmm. and we've arrived here and we're in a space now where we can afford um, the time to, like, reconnect with ancestral practices Mm. like weaving or like fishing and in a way that's not um, compromised by the colonial system. I mean, it is always at all times, Mm. but we can um, now afford to uh, be a bit stronger in that position, I think. That's Um, awesome. So, yeah, um, when I'm there, Mm. often 
because I've not lived there for so long. Um, you know, it's for a funeral or it's for a mm. wedding, it's for a specific cultural and community event. So it's been really interesting being there, living there, mm. um, and just listening and being quiet mm. and walking and all the things that, you know, have been coming to me like through finding things, mm. you know, materials, traditional materials, mm. things that, you know, like so I'm starting to collect these things and I'm not in a rush to do anything with them. I feel like. That's great. Um, yeah. Kwanamuka will tell me mm. down the track what to do. You so know? it is. I mean, you, mm. you answered it. Like it is very much about the place as well as the mm. people, which is such a awesome connection to have, you know. Like we feel like we have a connection because we were born somewhere, but you have mm. like this super, super long connection, which is pretty amazing and special. And it, I guess it does speak to you. Well, it speaks to other people through your work. Like I'm particularly thinking about, you know, all the work you do around middens and documenting them, but then sort of, I guess, translating that for, for other people. And do you want to talk a bit about about that work, about the yeah. idea of middens or what they yeah. represent? Well, I mean, you know, like so in our community, you know, we're going through um, a significant change. Like, um, you know, we're eight years into the native title mm. and um, mining is about to wrap up. And Thank so God. there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of um, discussion and, you know, people's lives are going to be affected and, you know, but we're in um, a good position now, like where, you know, we want self-determined um, little business ventures, economic yeah. security in our culture. Can we create cultural industries? Like how how do we move forward, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so but uh, there's a lot of fear and anxiety um, generated by the government, by the media, all of that kind of thing post-mining. And I need to like be clear here, mm. my family have worked in the sand mine and still mm-hmm. do work in the sand mine and um, that's why we are working class mm-hmm. and, and I've been able to have an education. Mm. Um, so I need to be transparent yeah, about, about that um, because, you know, the mining company did put in all the roads and mm. built the houses mm. and, you know, it, certainly in the 50s and 60s it was a source of one of the only sources of income, the government didn't lay down any of that in- infrastructure over there. And, you know, most of the industries that were established on my country did employ Aboriginal people. Yep. Um, so we haven't been so left out of of, of that, you know, um, lay of the land. But, yeah, just like looking at the current sort of social political climate mm. and the fear and anxiety, um, you know, got me thinking about mining in general and that's where you know I I was looking at middens you know because the first industries in Australia (laughs) were the lime burning industries yeah you know the colonizers needed a source of lime to build the foundations of their cities Mm. you know and so yeah my research because Brisbane and Moreton Bay or Quandamooka um, wasn't established and it was a penal colony. It was like yep. a, it was much, it was established much later, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it was like a prison kind of colony um, on St. Helena, Nagoon yep. mm-hmm. Island, um, yeah, where they had a pretty serious um, booming lime burning industry. Right. Um, yeah. So that's where the line of thought kind of it started with what 
what's going on in the community and yeah. how family members and we have all kinds of positions in our community mm-hmm. you know lots of mob are against it can't wait for it to be finished some are like well what are we going to do you know so you know we have a very complex mm. um relationship mm. with um that industry the sand mine yeah, yeah. and industry itself yeah. mm-hmm. so um yeah, that's that's sort of what led me to look at the industries beyond what's now because, hmm. you know, these sort of extractive industries are in a state of flux. They hmm. are limited, you know. Of course, um, finite. Yeah, 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 exactly. Hmm. Um, yeah, so. So maybe for people listening because I know what a midden is but maybe you could explain what, yeah. what it is and the significance of that sort of symbology. All right, so a midden is um, a, a shell pile created by thousands and thousands of years of of your ancestors eating in that one place, you know. Mm. So in my work I've been trying to sort of argue that they're architectural forms, you mm. know, they're hand some of built. them are massive, aren't they, like yeah. up to 10, 10 metres well, high? Well, this, this, is, this is what um, struck me in my research. Mm. Like um, all of the middens that I've seen on my country uh, remain as sort of um, shell scatters and they're quite small mm. but... That's because they're remnants of mm. what they once were. Mm-hmm. You know, they used to be massive piles before they were mined. And that's mm-hmm. what, you know, I didn't know that. So wow. it was really quite amazing yeah. to then deal with that in an art way, you know. Yeah, like yeah. So that then made me go, okay, well, I need to include like a very laborious kind of practice here where I make these like thousands and thousands of shells out of concrete and then try and make as big a piles as, as I can. can. So, so do to, you cast them? Yeah. Yeah, so, so you first make them out of something else and then cast them? Um, no, so I cast directly the shell. Oh, right. Um, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had um, lots and lots of oyster parties at <laughs> home and then, um, yeah, and then I made um, moulds from those shells yep. and, um, yeah, we poured. It's two-part moulds. Yep. Yeah. Um, and just a normal concrete mix, which is lime yes, as well. So yeah. that's interesting. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I just wanted to connect the material with the mm. object to talk about that industry and how, you know, for me, then it's um, talking about place again yeah. and um, looking at how um, these architectural forms have been erased mm-hmm. from our landscapes and our, our landscapes have been physically altered, mm-hmm. you know, because at all times I'm trying to um, resist the prescribed notions of Aboriginality and these prescribed um, uh, mythologies mm. that are centred around our people and our yeah. existence. Well, like that they didn't build or have architecture, but yeah. that is a that is a form of architecture. There were all sorts of but we really had established. Ovens. We had yeah, houses. Yeah, we course. had all of this. And yeah. um, the middens, you know, and it's ironic because archaeologists now mm. rely so heavily on middens to then figure out how long we've been in a place mm. and how long what we ate. Yeah, because they you last know? forever, those shelves, don't Well, they? they go into the ground yeah. as well, down, mm. and, you know, they were up high into the sky. Amazing. Um, there were physical markers in the landscape. Mm. So if you are travelling, um, you can you can yeah. locate the kitchen, yes. you know, <laughs> when you're walking through country. Yeah, Because perfect. always middens are in a lovely place to have to eat, you know, yeah, out awesome? of the wind with the fresh water, mm. you know, that's that's how we know. Not too far from where the oysters are, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or sometimes they are like, oh, sometimes, they? yeah. Travel, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> haul them back yeah. inland. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's yeah. more about where you want to sit together and eat and sort of like. It's just 
Yeah. It's like a living space. Well, that's, kitchen. that's I guess what I'm trying to say mm. is like, um, you know, it's a, it, it was a physical marker mm. of occupation. Yeah. And in some cases, you know, 21,000 years mm. on my country, mm. you know, that's oh, how old so some of the middens are. So, yeah, yeah and um, this industry then, so like I look, to my own country and, you know, find these things, but then it echoes across the coast mm-hmm. down. Oh, right down. Right everywhere. through yeah. because this is something that's not a unique experience of my country. You know, the whole country's been traumatised by yeah, this of sort of industry mm-hmm. and so that's what ends up happening is like I have this idea and I talk specifically, very specifically about my country, but then it can um, flow right. out and ripple bec- and and. Um, this experience is then shared by Mm. many other nations and many other peoples. Yeah, it's great. And Mm. so in making that work um, with the concrete middens that you created, did you sort of have any kind of contact with the lime, with the, you know, the concrete that you used? Is that any relation specifically to that company or? No, no. My dad's a concreter. All right. And so (laughs) I just asked him what the best concrete to use is because um, actually concrete's very fragile. Mm, It's a very delicate um, material um, and when you're making shells, it's Mm. like very thin. So it can break off. Um, Yeah. So I just had to work that out with him. Like a finer kind of grade or something so it could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So And so then where did they go back? Into the place or into the gallery? No, oh. they're in my shed. <laughs> <laughs> and where, where will they go when you um, when you? So, um, there's an exhibition coming up at the Jam Factory in Adelaide, mm-hmm. um, and they've had a series of big touring shows based on materials. So wow. there's been steel, glass, and mm. the next one is concrete. Mm. So there'll be a midden. Um, Tra- traveling for the next few years wow. in that show. How many shells involved in that? Like how many? Oh, uh, we haven't decided yet. Um, it has just... to be big though, doesn't it? Mm, I'm not sure. Like as many as you can make. <laughs> well, it's a touring show that goes around in lots of regional galleries. So I'm Ooh. trying to make it practical for the staff um, yeah. because it's a complex form. And they wrap everything. And I won't be doing it myself. So yeah. I've got to figure out a way to do that. Um, and maybe that's just a little bit of a smaller one, and we'll make up some extra shells for that particular midden. Yeah. But the big one that was made for the Art Gallery of New South Wales yeah. for the national that one is going up to brisbane next year um for a show at the ima i can't remember what the exhibition's called but um there's lots of international artists in it and it's all centered around um the notion of home yeah i love i love the notion that these things that Traditionally, midden stayed in one place. Mm. I love that now mm. in this contemporary context, you're making <laughs> these travelling middens. It's yeah. kind of great. Yeah, because that it's is funny. Because it's like something that used to be so permanent and for you you've, I don't know, made it mobile or something, which I guess speaks a lot about your politics as well, which you seem to be kind of like spreading the word really effectively and taking those things that used to be just based in country and sort of sharing them around, which... Is why, you know, like why I'm kind of drawn to your work because it's such a unusual thing to do, I guess, but imperative thing to do, like yeah. important, you know. Well, no, at all times, I mean, we must continue to challenge mm-hmm. the colonial um, powers and the myths that are perpetuated around our people. Totally. Like we have to do that. And art is one of the only places where we really 
um, you know, where the power resonates and that people have listened, yeah. can listen because Thank it's God a very that, peaceful eh? place to protest. Yeah. You know, um, it's an educated, it's a thoughtful place, mm. um, it's a political place. Um, and but, it's kind of like open. Everyone can hear it. It's you yeah. know, there's there's a lot of it's democratic essentially. Yeah. I mean, it's it's still capitalist, but yeah, it's democratic. Yeah. But on that idea of like protest and and having a voice or series of voices, one of the other works that really I think when I first I don't know where it really struck me what you were doing I guess was the um the work that was in sovereignty, um, the resistance work with yeah. all the placards. Oh, yeah. And I loved that. And actually my kids really loved that as well because they were like, what are these signs for? Because they sort of signified action and it was a really easy way to explain to them like what those signs were for. But it struck me afterwards that they were kind of like a midden in themselves, like piled. Oh, that's interesting. And I was like, wow, that's kind of interesting because it's kind of like each each one signified for me a person holding that. But then it's also that same thing as a shell that's been eaten or an action or coming together as a community. Or, But were the signs from actually co- collected from a particular protest or made no. up? No. So the work um, is a ironic work mm. and it's interesting that you make that correlation with middens um, because actually the work um, has never been shown in that way Mm. um and so the curator Paola Bella Mm. um she decided she made that curatorial decision. To chuck them on top of each other. Yeah so um how they've um been shown previously um Mm. is suspended upside down. Right. So that's how um I've shown them in the past and that's how was my intention. I've not Um, seen them like that. Mm -hmm. So 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 what the works are are a series of quotes The white placards are written in the Brady Bunch font (laughs) and they're quotes of um, from politicians and celebrities and people in power in this country that have opinions about minority groups, asylum seekers and Aboriginal people. Mm -hmm. And often um, what is behind these statements Mm. is who can have what and why, you okay. know? What kind of statements are they? I know I remember seeing the work but I don't remember the exact So statement. there's statements like um, lifters, not leaners. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, the big steel, um, two wongs don't make a white, oh. you know, that was um, a politician. No, it was a politician <laughs> in the 70s, 60s. Really? Yeah, I think wow. it was actually a prime minister. What, look, talking, talking about, about China... Chinese, Vietnamese, talking about Asians. People coming you in know, and yes. what they're worth. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. full on. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's a like very racist a human country. Being's worth a human being. <laughs> yeah, but Australia is a very, yeah, very racist totally. country. And so, yeah, th- uh, that's why the work is called Resistance because mm. it's kind of like I'm trying to be funny um, in the way and looking at that work, like what is resistance um, and how it works. And, and so the black quotes? The black quotes. Quotes are um, my interpretation okay. um, of it's like the subtext or the effect of that cause. Mm-hmm. And yes, so it's quite negative, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, some that say ethno-genocide, um, some say parochial vision, some mm-hmm. say elimination, you know, like so they're... They're the negative effect of that Yeah, that they're racism, the actual yeah. result that the minority. Um, that Feel. the 
Brady Bunch are discussing yeah. um, actually Impact actually on. live. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, actually yeah. end up feeling bearing the consequences. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was interesting that Paula in that show decided to then have them all on a pile mm. um, and kind of like defeated in a way, like or mm. resting or not in action or mm. not. So like because when I have them, they're upside down and they're suspended in this state of like, I don't know, perpetual, just a perpetual problem looming like, there, yeah. you know, like unresolved. And not really speaking to each other yeah. either. I guess that inverting them upside yeah. down, like misunderstood or, or trying, you know, not there's not a conversation. Yeah, well, they're left hanging. Yeah, yeah. These I, issues I, are left hanging in our psyche yeah, as a nation. Totally. We don't know how to move forward. You know, it's just this constant um, clash, you know. I guess chucking them in a pile does sort of the same thing as well. I mean, it's like they've been swept into a, mm, <laughs> like in the too mm. hard basket or something. Yeah, you know? it's interesting. I mean, you know, like um, and and I just said to 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 them, Mobadaka, like, do whatever you like with mm-hmm. them. Like, I'm really open to things like that. I, I love um I love the power that art has and where it can go and I'm not offended or, like, whatever. I just want a conversation. And um, so I love that you sort of saw that in that as well, you know. It's great when art has a life beyond, like, it's sort of a, it's like magic when you've got this important idea about it but then it it has its own life and goes and does its own things. People take it and make something new out of it or inspired or, It's interesting because I made it, like, in 2013 as well, Mm. like a really long time. Well, I feel like a really long time ago. And then it just caught up. Like, then it was in heaps of shows. Like good, though. Yeah, like had a little sleep and, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, it's good. I mean, even this project for me just grew out of wanting to know people's stories and I'm just really curious about other people that I respect their work. And and now it's interestingly, like, sections, curators are choosing a few conversations and showing them like with parts of work and so it's interesting how things evolve I mean I think if you're on a track that you're fascinated by or interrogating that's just like what a career does isn't it it just sort of grows and evolves and mutates and no one can tell where it's going to go but another project I wanted to talk to you about um just I guess on that same idea of like racism and the politics behind your work is the thing you did in in Berlin the black Blacktism mm. or is it blacktivism? No, it's the Black- blacktism. Blacktism, yeah. right. So sure. like a baptism. Oh, right, okay. Because yeah. I kept reading it as blacktivism. but then... I know, so many people do. Yeah. It's interesting. Blacktism, yeah. like yeah. baptism. Yeah, yeah. And so the, the prominent image of that, which is quite striking, is you sort of wearing like a uh, like black face, like darker coloured makeup mm. and wearing some kind of outfit um, featuring the the – Australian fag or the mm, Union Jack, yeah, just a yeah. part of it. Do you want to talk about that video? Yeah. Um. So first of all, it's not blackface. It's no. um pigment resolution. Okay. Um. So <laughs> <laughs> whatever that is. Um. That is so that? that is um talking about the denial of my um aboriginality that mm-hmm. comes from cultural authorities ever present in the Australian landscape that say you are too white oh, to be you Aboriginal. Have fair skin. Uh no, you can't be Aboriginal. Your <laughs> eyes are blue. Um and, you know, so I wanted to make a work mm. um it came from a different like that wasn't the initial um 
uh, only kind of thing that informed the work. Mm. But um, because it's a very personal work, mm. I needed to address those things because those are the things that have been constant in mm. my life. And they're designed like that denial mm. of your culture and your history um, is designed to break you, you know, um, and make you weak. So I had to address mm. that in in the video to make white people understand what it looks like, like mm. what it feels like. Yeah. Um, so basically that artwork, the blacktism, came out of, as an artist, I wanted to go to France <laughs> and be an artist and look at the Algiers community and, like, I'm really interested in place and place names and how mm. people, um, like, I wanted to kind of do the opposite. Like, we as sovereign peoples in our country, we we have our language that's connected to the place and mm. that is connected, unbroken, except by British occupation, mm. um, you know, since time immemorial. Yeah. But I was interested in, you know, communities in France, like, diaspora communities this is like way back in 2013 yeah 2012 2013 Mm. I was interested in how and if communities from other nations like uh, former colonies Mm. can then go to the colony oh I see and inform places in the urban space like in a reverse kind of mode yeah yeah I was just curious it Mm. was just an idea and I wanted to apply for like a residency Mm. and go and live and make some work and just learn like Mm. see something else um so during the application process one of the questions is are you aboriginal I was like yes tick that box yeah do you have confirmation I was like oh so yeah yeah, I had to get my confirmation of aboriginality Mm. and that you know for lots of white Australians they didn't even know they're like oh my god that's shocking that's like you know um the star for the jews in world war you know too but Mm. no it's i wasn't shocked there's always something i needed to get like it was on my list of things to do but um you know up until that point i'd been aboriginal Mm -hmm. and participated in the community Mm. and you know through our own ways of connecting and authenticating um and validating Mm. um our each other Mm -hmm. my membership in the community is valid and recognised. Yeah. 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 Well, we have a big mob and, um, you know, everyone's quite connected. So, um, yeah, I was like on the phone to the elders and I said, Arnie, I've got to get this certificate. I'm putting in this application. Um, She's like, yeah, bub, no worries. We'll send it through. Are you in a rush? And I was like, no, no, it's all right, you know, um, a couple of months or whatever. And... Um, I said, what do I have to do? She said, oh, you just take it. We'll send it through. You take it to the law courts, um, get the JP to sign it and then bring it back and we'll put it through our next board meeting. And um, I was like, oh, yeah, cool, no worries. And she's like, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, yeah, I want to go to France. And she's like, oh, deadly, you know, we're so proud of you. <laughs> um, and then um, I was like, but, Arnie, um, do you reckon I'll get it? And she was, she just said, what? What do you mean? Yeah, you're one of us. Yeah. And um, then she cracked up laughing and I <laughs> laughed too. But when I hung up the phone, mm. I thought, what the fuck just happened? Like mm. how can it be that I'm just talking to my own blood here? <laughs> and questioning your identity. And I just wondered if <sighs> becoming legally Aboriginal, whether I qualify. 
And so really yeah. the blacktism is about analysing how that can happen. Mm. And once I meditated on that mm. and, like, analysed that, you know, I realised it's almost like every single moment in my life where I've, like, been real proud, like, mm. this is who I am and this is my family, and then you get people who are like, is no, <laughs> are you? But yeah. how much? But yeah. no. Oh. But you're too smart. But no. But oh. your eyes are blue. Mm. But this, but that. So I wanted to make an artwork to sort of... um Go, all right then. If I'm really authentic, <laughs> yeah. let's like let's see that. Let's perform mm, that. So mm, mm. I get turned into mm. an authentic Aborigine according to the cultural authorities ever present in our cultural landscape. And you know, we have a big old happy assimilation dance party after at the end where we all get pissed and yeah. then you know, and then I'm left like there by myself, having yeah. to deal with myself and you know, like it's comedic because it's like it, you know, in in the beginning, I really want to participate in mm. that, and mm. I'm really wanting to be um, part of the community. Mm. I really want my um, identity and my culture to be recognised. But you don't and I want feel it to like be you should valued. have to prove that. Like, why should you have to? You know, I find well, that we do, we yeah. do, we just yeah. do, yeah. because it's 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 almost like. You know, Australians are so shocked or so offended that you don't want to be Australian. There's this, like, what do you mean? We've done all of this for you and you're still ungrateful. Or or they're suspicious. It's met oh. with suspicion. Oh, so you must want to be black to get stuff, you know. Oh. Um, so, you know, these are, these are very real experiences yeah. that Aboriginal people yeah. have. Um, and it's a constant... Oh. I remember working at Next Wave. I worked as a producer at Next Wave and that just the certificate thing was so kind of intense. Like yeah. That, and that process was so hard mm. for a lot of people. Mm. It was like, fuck, imagine if we had to do that to mm. prove our identity every yeah. time we went for a project. Yeah. Know? I mean, I wasn't, I'm not questioning the certificate as mm. such. Mm. Um, what I'm questioning is what is authenticity? Yeah. Who decides? And, you know, that, that, Really, that certificate is for institutions, mm. you know. The certificate is hearsay. There's a reason that certificate exists mm. and that's because there are a lot of people who discover they have a great-great-granny yeah, right, right. and, you know, then they want identified jobs and they want this and they want Fair that enough. and they do want the things that then, you know, Australians go, oh, you must just be Aboriginal to get <laughs> this stuff. I mean, when we can discuss the the mm. issues related to the resources specifically a- allocated to Aboriginal people, mm. it's not any more than what uh, non-Aboriginal people get. No. So it's not really a threat. But, but I mean, that's a different um, conversation, I think. But um, it also works for you in a way because you should, you know, that's the, so that it enables the people who deserve that recognition yeah. to get it. So the certificate's well, important as well. we do need that because, yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, um, it... Yeah, I mean, there's a reason for it. I mean, mm. Elizabeth Durack, I don't know if you remember no. that story, no. a white woman in Western Australia who um, was uh, passed as she made like millions and millions of dollars doing mm. Aboriginal art mm. under the guise of like oh. this artist named Eddie Burrup or something. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, she was. What? Yeah, this was in the 80s. 
Right? This white woman did She had a this. pseudonym as well under yes, a man's name. an Aboriginal man's name and she oh, made Aboriginal God. art. So this is why yeah, this back is in why. those days when we did have um, ATSIC, yeah. which was, um, you know, an advisory board that was, it was a place in the parliament under the, the Keating government. Yeah, we did have that mm. um, and that was the decision that was made by Aboriginal people. To protect, yeah. Yes. So, the, you know, that's why it's like, well, we need a document. Mm. Um, that then is difficult to, mm. you know, if you don't, if you're not connected to your people, mm. then, you know, it, yeah, we just need some kind of way to authenticate ourselves yeah. in this situation Fair so enough. that people yeah. like her can't get away with this fraudulent behaviour. Yeah. So that's why the certificate exists. Yeah. And that's very important. Yeah. You know, we have a lot of issues mm. here. Mm. Aboriginal art is one of the only places where we have autonomy in mm, this country. Yeah. Economic independence yeah. and a and sense of sovereignty. And you need to protect yeah, yeah, we yeah, do. Definitely. Yeah, we do. I mean, it could go, uh, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done there. There's still yeah. a lot of um, exploitation by, Yeah, you know, <laughs> people. Yeah, it seems to keep going keep, around in circles. I know. Surely that's it's frustrating. But the yeah. government could help. You know, at least clean that up. At least now they're not selling all the rubbishy gift shit. Well, they're trying to crack yeah, down on that. Yeah, that is. Aren't they? It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I been going on for what, like fifty years. Limited, yeah, and are really trying to like yeah. combat fake Aboriginal art. Ah, yeah, because yeah. all those international visitors come in and buy, you know, a fake boomerang that's been made in the Philippines or something. Yeah, hand they want to know in. about our culture. They want to know about us. But they're buying fakes because yeah. we have not. No one's, you know, everyone's just turned a blind eye to that whole industry that's yeah. multi-million dollar. Well, they don't care about us. Well, you know, yeah. well, some some people do. <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing I wanted to talk to you about before we run out of time is the group that you're part of, Proper Now, mm. which I, I mean, I know Richard Bell's in it as well and mm. a couple of other really amazing artists, but mm. how did that come about for you? Like how did you join the group and maybe you want to talk a bit about what the group does? Mm. Uh, well, um, because I'm in Brisbane, um, well, I'm here, I'm sort of everywhere at the moment. But, um, <laughs> you're a travelling Back in those yeah. days, um, you know, like I went to uni up there and um, started out there at Kaya at QCA, um, which is like the Indigenous uh, mm. unit there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it was a bit too radical for me actually when I was 19 and 18, 19 and I didn't have the emotional maturity to deal with the politics. Mm. I just wasn't smart enough. <laughs> like I just wasn't. Already. I just had other shit to deal with to be yeah. honest. Like mm. I had to really... You know, I was sort of coming to terms with the fact that I thought that painting boomerangs was being a deadly black fella thing to do, you know, like, but it was very important because that place opened me up to, you know, the practice of Richard Bell, um, you know, Robert Campbell Jr., Trevor Nichols, Mm. you know, Gordon Bennett, Judy Watson. Mm. You know, I was like suddenly exposed, it was like suddenly exposed to like this way to talk you know and way to express yourself and for it not to sit within that prescribed notion of aboriginality yeah you know like to just be exactly what i have inherited you know yeah so um but also to be art like to be yeah contemporary art that's not like dot painting it's Mm, actually really mm. yeah so that school up there there was very much about about that challenging um, mm. the visual representation throughout the material application of that and interrogating all of those things. Mm. But I ended up 
going and finishing down here mm-hmm. at um, the Koori Institute of Education right. because I sort of just wanted to also learn about Western art and the canon of it and just the bigger picture as well mm-hmm. um, because I found that space just just a bit really intense. But once I finished there, I went back to Brisbane mm-hmm. and, you know, I never lost touch with all them mob. Like, you mm. know, there's still family and, um, like, yeah, so then I got some work teaching and you know I just got involved um yeah and and I think after once I worked out what I was going to do when I started doing my mapping works Mm. like with the flooded um landscapes and looking at place names and and I guess creating that body of work Mm. that I guess people started to get to know me through yeah. proper now invited me to join but back in those days too I was like very active in the um artist run communities Spaces. like I was like the director of the artist run um initiative festival Bari festival oh, yeah. you know I was just like really <laughs> big go-getter I think like it's once the I age though, uni, isn't it? yeah. it's like early 20s you've yeah. just got so much energy yeah, I, I yeah. ran an artist run space with um Mary Marcilla mm. we ran a little project called Tiny Gold you know so I was just like really into that shit because I was I knew I wanted to be an artist but I was just like I got time mm. I just want to like be in the community and but so I that's think, what I did you I know? reckon that's a good way to start out yeah it was I, I great felt like I started out like that too in mm. festivals and mm. um artist collectives and stuff and then you you, you sort of just don't you got to focus your energy at some point and mm. then you grow up but People do tend to rush it now, I reckon, like go straight into a career. Oh, yeah. It's almost too Uh, early, though. I I don't know. It's like being an artist, it's like a lifelong process. Yeah, it is. It's not a... You know, it's not a money-making industry. Like, I mean, there's money involved, but, like, it's I also, don't really give a shit about that. It's also that. hard to script at a young age, I think, like to work out exactly where you're going to be happiest or, like, choose one medium. Mm, like, it's crazy people mm, do that. Mm, but, mm, you know, I do, mm, I do think that's changing, though, mm, like quite a lot. People getting... Well, I think that um, mm. Aboriginal artists are actually at the forefront of that and yeah. um, giving people permission to do that mm, mm. Um, because often, you know, the things that centre um, in centered in our practice is challenging these things and so we're not limit we don't limit ourselves to material because why, why would you it's not about the material <laughs> it's about the it's idea about the idea yeah, yeah that's right so you know uh i had a couple i think i was I had a big solo show mm. uh in 2011 and yeah proper now wanted me a part of it that's you great. know and i was always hanging out at the studio and mm. Checking in because that's what we do in Brisbane. How like, many women are in the group though? Uh, just myself and Jennifer. So yeah. that's probably got to be addressed maybe or well, is it just how it is? It's not an issue for no. me. Like I know that, um, yeah, I know people make a thing of it but um, Richard, Vernon, Gordon yeah, they're incredible and artists. Laurie are not sexist, misogynist it's just pricks. Look, I think that our feminisms is different. Yeah. Um, it's completely different to yeah. Western feminism yeah. and these issues around gender that exist in Western cultural paradigms mm. are not different. the same as ours. Mm. I mean, we have gendered roles that aren't necessarily mm. negative. No. Um, and, you know, we have, look, colonisation has had such a serious impact on Aboriginal men in this country that I am not going to say that people like Richard and Vernon and um, Gordon 
you know, should step aside and let other young mm. people, um, young women, you know, come in uh, on top of them. Because for me, colonisation has emasculated our men to a point where most of our men are incarcerated, you know. Yeah. So no, it's I very. I see that. I understand. Um, that, yeah. I'm not going to make that an issue because they make space for me. Yeah. And they fight for me. And they invited you in and I get it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just always curious yeah. as to oh, look, because I didn't know. People talk about it, yeah. you know, like, oh, it's not like equal. But, but you know, you're going to grow up and you can invite more people in and that, that yeah. will be. You'll, yeah, yeah. It'll work itself out yeah. naturally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just on the last thing, like we're sort of wrapping up of getting to that it's time. It's gone so fast. I know, it goes really fast. We've only just started. Yeah, I know. You could go all day. It's crazy like that. I guess I just wanted to just finally touch on, um, you know, just the idea of truth and clarity and, like, transparency mm. and how, you know, whether you think about that. And you just seem to be a very clear kind of communicator and you don't you cut to the chase. And I really respect that and appreciate that. Do you remind yourself that all the time? Like, you know, how do you deal with those issues of transparency without, you know, Try not to cloud things. That wasn't a very transparent question, but you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I think I do. Mm. Um, yeah. So, you know, I've decided to become an artist. I've decided to talk about being Aboriginal. And so when I do that, I have to be at all times aware of what I do. Um, yes, I speak for myself and I have an individualistic practice and I don't claim to speak on the behalf of everybody else. However, there are other people implicated in this. When I am Kondamuka, mm. it is, you know, imperative that all my family or, you know, people can relate to these ideas. So mm. when it comes to You mean not just being art people? Clear, yeah, everybody. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Mm. Um, and so when it comes to being clear and um, truthful, yes, for me, you know, because, I mean, you can get away with shit. Like mm. white <laughs> people in this country are so dumb and so misinformed yeah. that we could just make up stuff. And some of us do and it's kind of funny. Yeah. But um, I'm not like that, you no. know, because no, I, can tell. I can't be like that because I pass as white. So, you know, I have to work twice as hard as, you know, um, my, my family or people who are, you know, mm. all authenticated immediately You're through both. their, you know. So, mm. yeah, I have to be very honest and I have to be very true to that, mm. I think, you know. Um, and it's very important to me that what I say is relates to the collective discourse as well mm. and that what I do adds to that discourse that's happening um, through contemporary Australian Indigenous art, you know. Yeah. Um, and that we are continuing a, a, a broader struggle mm. and finding you know, a visual literacy that enables people to have a voice and be able to relate to that and empower them through mm. that. So, yeah, it's it's very, very important for me that that is the primary force behind all these, yeah. the art it's practice. Being clear. Yeah. And the, you know, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I hope, I really hope you continue to do it, but I have no doubt you will because <laughs> like, you're like an unstoppable force or something. <laughs> I feel very privileged to have spoken to you today. So thank you for coming Thanks in. Thanks so much for having me, Ty. It's been great. Thank you. Having a connection with place and the people who live there seems to be such an integral part of Megan's practice. I love her passion and evident commitment to her home's future story. 
She helps me understand what it means to be an Indigenous artist and make work on country and the ripples it can create for other Indigenous artists. I really appreciate Megan's honesty when it came to discussing the complexities of being middle class as a direct result of mining and in many ways owing their lifestyles to the boom of the lime mining and burning industry. I got the real sense that Megan is very aware of the responsibilities of identifying as a Kwandamooka woman, as well as the responsibilities of relating to the collective discourse that come with that. I love her views on middens being classified as architecture, to mark the place where thousands of her ancestors came to eat. How she says, if you're travelling, you can locate the kitchen when you're walking through country. My main takeaway from talking to Megan today was her real focus on connecting material with object and then object to place in order to create meaning. And the way she found the problem she wanted to explore and asked herself, how do I deal with this in an art way? This conversation was hosted by me, Ty Snaith. I'm an artist for those of you who don't know my work. I'm actually making a series of artworks inspired by each of these conversations. The first iteration was shown recently at Sarah Scout Presents. The exhibition's over now, but you can see the documentation on my website. For more information about the project and the artists I'm speaking to, head to tysnaith.com. Thanks to my audio producer, Beck Fari, and Melbourne musician, Fia, spelt P-H-I-A, for letting me use the track, End of the Day, from her album, The Ocean of Everything. This podcast was originally conceived as part of the exhibition Unfinished Business, Perspectives on Art and Feminism at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. This second season and the exhibition is supported by the Australia Council for the Arts.